I fell asleep. Anybody just not watch it at all? Yeah. I feel like sports just keep getting worse and worse for me. We need more Ohio teams in there for me to get interested. And, and, and maybe Atlanta teams. All right, we can bring that in there too. How's everybody doing? We good? I, I'm, I'm up here today, guys. I'm up here. I, I, uh, I, I have fought kicking and screaming about coming up here. Maybe this is one of the reasons also. Uh, I've fought kicking and screaming about being up here because I like being down on the floor. It feels like I'm close to everybody. But um, because we opened up the balcony, look at all the balcony folks. Wave hi. First time balcony dwellers. Well done. Is that Danny up there? <laughs> I love it. Uh, we, uh, because, uh, because we opened up the balcony, it felt like it would be easier for me to be up here. So bear with me, guys. Um, it's, it's traumatizing for me as much as it is for you. We're going to make it. It's going to be great. We're in a series called Rooted Renegades, and in this series, we've been talking about the four rhythms of what it looks like for us to kind of position ourselves in a place to hear from the Lord, to experience His presence, to dwell with Him, to know Him, and to experience His goodness. And so we start off talking about the cave, this idea that it's in our quiet time, in our quiet space where we experience Him. Then we talked about the road. Uh, it's out on the road as we're going through our day, learning to hear from Him, learning to follow where He leads, learning to go where He asks us. Last week, I heard Aaron Keyes was incredible, uh, talked about the fire and, 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 and the, the passion of the Holy Spirit kind of working and stirring in us and examining our days at the end of the day to just discern where did we walk with Him, where might He have been leading us, all of those things. And today I want to talk about the table. And what it looks like for us to be a community that dwells at the table of the Lord and invites others to that space as well. Uh, I heard a story this week about Buddy, though, thinking about Rooted Renegades. So Buddy Hoffman is our founding pastor. He passed away a couple years ago. And I heard this story about him this week, and I felt like I just needed to share it. Because there's this kind of renegade nature that he had that I love. There's certain people that just say things that you wish you could say. And I think that was Buddy, right? Are you guys with me? The people that knew Buddy well? Like, he's one of those guys that, like, those thoughts go through my head, but I don't have the courage to say them. Buddy just said them, right? And, and so I heard this story this week that when Grace was just getting started, this was in the 80s. Grace was just getting started, and it was kind of like where we're at today. People had just started to really gather, and the crowds were starting to come. And, 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 and Buddy said that, that this group of people, these young men, started coming to the church. And in this, back in the 80s, this was a much more conservative church at that time, right? So there was a lot of suit jackets. Everybody was kind of buttoned up. Um, there was, I think there was a choir. Like, we, had, we had those things kind of going on back in the day. And, and so this crew came in, and they all came in on their motorcycles. There was like three or four of them in there on their motorcycles, and they wore shorts and like white beaters and like the, the leather jackets, and they sat in the back. And, and Buddy was sitting in his office one week, and he got a phone call from somebody from the church. And, and the person said, Pastor, Pastor Hoffman, I'm, I'm greatly concerned. We've got these young men that are coming to the church, and, and they're wearing shorts to church, and they're wearing T-shirts, and, and, and I'm greatly concerned about what this is going to do to the church and how the church is going to change and how the church is going to be like transformed by these folks. And, and, and I guess Buddy said, well, what are these guys' names? And the guy said, well, I've never talked to them. I, I, don't, I don't know their names. I've never spoken to them. And what, it, what, what brought them to the church? And and they said, well, I, I don't know. I've never spoken to them. I don't know what brought them to the church. Well, what do they do? What's their job? Where do they live? And he asked them all of these questions, and they couldn't answer any of these. And Buddy said, after speaking to you for a little while, I, I need you to understand something. I'm not concerned for those young men at all. I'm actually concerned for you. 
Like, can I pray for you that you will have the heart of Jesus and that you will understand the power of the, the body of Christ to invite everybody into his presence? And Buddy just went after him. I guess he just completely lit him up. And I heard that Buddy didn't get any phone calls like that for a really, really long time. So next time somebody calls me, watch out. I got the power of Buddy working through me right now. I'm, I'm ready to light somebody up. No, I'm just playing. Uh, uh, but today I do want to talk about this idea of the table. Like, there's something beautiful that happens at the table. Like when you're just gathered around a meal with your best friends, and around the table there's laughter and there's joy and there's checking in and there's good food in our bellies. And, 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 and in my world, the kids are running around laughing and making noise. And, and there's just an experience of like, this is safe. This is good. This is, this is what life is supposed to be like. And, and, and I love the idea of just inviting everybody to the table. I think the table matters to us here at Grace. One of our primary uh, missions is house church. Right? We've started 10 house churches now in the community, all over the community, and, and they're growing rapidly. I'm praying for more. Like, I want 20 by next year, right? We want 40 after that. We want to we want to grow these house churches. And, and the goal of these house churches, and one of our, so we have... Three core values, which it's really six core values, but we've turned it into three for our house churches. It's that we listen and we pray, which seems important, right? You with me? Okay, not very many of you are nodding, but that it feels like a good thing. That we bless and we serve. And then thirdly is that we eat and we celebrate. Like one of our core values here is the table. We place eating next to praying here at Grace. It matters that much. It matters to us to celebrate, to be together, to be family, to be community, to do life together as a community and to understand that this is good. That it's good when we're present to one another. It's good when we're inviting. It's good when we open up spaces. And so house churches, raise your hand if you're involved in a house church right out there. Look at that. That's awesome. I want to encourage you with one thing. Every person that just raised your hand. My goal in the next year is that House Church has less people that are coming from our gathering on Sunday and more people that are coming from your neighborhoods and your communities. That the invitation to your table in your House Church is an invitation that doesn't just go out here at church to say we'd like to gather a few more folks. It's going out to our neighborhood. And I want to challenge you and encourage you. I want you to throw the best parties in your neighborhood. I want people to feel welcome and loved. I want there to be joy and laughter at our tables because the reason all of this matters to us is because it mattered to Jesus. 1 John 2, 6 says we're to live as he lived and walk as he walked. We're, we're always talking about how do we inhabit the spaces that Jesus inhabited? How do we live as he lived? How do we do what he did? We used to have the WWJD bracelets, right? We, we want to know how he lived. And the way that Jesus lived was around the table. He was constantly inviting people that didn't belong at his table to his table. He invited Levi. He invited Zacchaeus. He invited John the Baptist's followers. He invited all of these people to come and he sat at the table with them and he taught and he laughed and he, he shared and he, he, he taught in parables and he told all these stories. He even spent so much time. Look at the Gospels and see how much time he spent at the table with the Pharisees. I challenge any of you to match Jesus' ability to eat with your enemies. Over and over and over, he's at the table with hostile hosts. He's at the table with people that disagree with him. He's at the table with people that are angry with 
matters to Jesus than it matters to us. We actually take the Eucharist every week. We take communion every week, which means every single week we remember that Jesus sat at his table with his disciples and he broke the bread and he poured the wine and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. This is the blood that is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's actually telling us, get around the table together. And so I feel a weight to this message this morning. I feel like this is, there's times when I preach where I feel like this might be a little more important than some of the other times that I've preached. And for some of you out there, it may feel like, why is this such a big deal that we eat together? Why is this such a big deal that we gather around a table? Why is this a rhythm that matters to us? Why is this so important to us? And I want you to know it's important because it's what Jesus did and it's what Jesus invited us to do. Jesus fed the multitudes. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. He, 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 he multiplied what he had and he gave it out. And then the early church, all the early church tried to do was what Jesus did. So where did the early church start? It started in homes and in the synagogues. And they bounced back and forth between being in the church and being in homes together where they opened up their home and sat at the table and loved one another. I just want to suggest that in our culture, I think we're losing the art of the table. I think we're losing the art of neighborliness. I think we're losing the ability to connect. And I don't know what it is. There's a lot of polarizing things in our world right now. There's a lot of lines that are being drawn around politics and around all kinds of different things that separates us and that pulls us away from one another. I think social media doesn't help all of this because we used to not have to read everybody's opinions every day and now we have to. I, I think we also are, I'm concerned that our young people don't know how to be together. I was, I was out with uh, the campus pastors a few months ago, and we were having dinner together, and, and, and there was this table of, like, young girls, probably, like, freshmen in college, sophomores in college. There was, like, ten of them gathered around this table. We're at a nice restaurant, and so I imagine it was, like, a girls' night out, like a fun kind of time. They were all kind of gussied up, ready to go. And, and I'm not kidding. We watched them for an hour, and this was the pattern. Like, every one of them on their phones, not interacting with anyone. And then somebody would be like, let's take a selfie. And they would take a picture of one another, and then they'd all get back on their phones and not hang out. And I wanted so badly to find out what the selfie said. Because I'm guessing it was like having an amazing time with the girls. You're not having an amazing time with the girls. You're playing Clash Royale or something, right? I don't know what you're doing, but you are not spending time with one another. I feel like we're losing the art of just being with one another, being present to one another, being like making space for one another. So in Psalms 23, this is, this is actually, this is the passage that we read like for, for pastors. It's the passage that you read when you go to the hospital and somebody's passing away. It's the passage that you read when there's like stress and anxiety. And it's this beautiful picture of this invitation of the Father. And there's all these things in there. It says, you, you lead me beside still waters. You, you, you restore my soul. You make space for me. My, my fear goes away in your presence. Like all of these things are all lit up around this passage. And then it says this. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's all of these passages that are like, this is all the things that you do. This is what happens. And it all seems so relaxing and so still and so quiet and so wonderful and so peaceful. It's like this meadow and there's still waters and God's there and everything's great. And then there's a table and then all of a sudden my enemies are there and it's all ruined. But the father says, no, this is what we do. 
This is what I do. I believe that the powerful God, the mighty God, and what He wants us to do and what He invites us to do is He prepares a space at our table, at your table, in your living room, in your kitchen, at your favorite restaurant. He has prepared a table for you to be with others and for you to be the light of Jesus in these spaces. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that He's done that. I believe, yeah, we, we did the story of God this weekend, and we had around 30, 35 people that gathered around in the basement downstairs this, this um, Friday and Saturday night and, and spent time together just walking through the story of what God had done and who He was. And as we talked about the story of God, we just kept coming back to the garden invitation is still there. The invitation to walk with Him in the cool of the evening, the invitation to be with Him, the invitation to be in His presence is still available. And all throughout the story of Scripture, God is fighting to get that back with us. He's fighting for that kind of relationship. He's fighting for that kind of presence. He's discerning how do we get back what everything was in the beginning. And everything in the beginning was peaceful. Everything in the beginning was without fear. Everything in the beginning was without sickness or without death. Everything in the beginning was closeness with one another. There was no blame or shame or guilt. There was no sin or no brokenness or woundedness. People didn't have the capacity to hurt one another the way that we hurt each other now. There were no relationships that were broken. We just lived in the garden beside the still waters at the table of the Lord together in peace. And I believe He wants to restore that. I believe He wants to bring that back. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that He's asking for a group of people in Cobb County to live out this, this rhythm. And to become a people who come to his table, but also know how to invite people to ours. And it just simply says this, you prepare a table before me. Uh, preparation is hard. Right? Are you with me? Some of the guys are like, I don't know, I don't ever prepare the house for a meal. Right? You need to start helping out, right? Uh, it's hard. Right? When you have a bunch of people over the house, when you open up your home, like... There is some preparation that's involved in it. There's some, there's some working. There's, there's some hospitality that happens in this space. But when you do those things, what you do is you open up space. I think the greatest gift that we can give to one another is to make space in our lives for each other. I think one of the greatest gifts that's been lost in this world is we don't prepare for one another anymore. We don't set things up so that we say, I, I just want to invite you in and... And here's the best. Like, I want to give you our best. I want to, I, 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 I want to invite you in with generosity. I, I, I've got a friend that every time I go to his house, he's like, hey, man, I got a little something for you. And he, he goes and he gets, like, the top shelf bourbon because he knows I like bourbon. And he's not going with, like the, like, the stuff that you get at the store. This is the stuff that you, like, have to special order. And he gets me just a little glass of this. And he's opened up space for hospitality. He's opening up space for me to be there with him and to be at his table. And he's saying, I want to give you the best that I have. I, I, I've actually prepared for you to come and I want to give you this. Jesus did the exact same thing. Jesus got out the top shelf bourbon. John chapter 2, verse 7. Right? This is Jesus' first miracle. This is his first announcement of the kingdom. This is his first announcement of who he is. And, and, and he's at this wedding feast. And in the wedding feast, they, they run out of wine. They're out of wine at the wedding feast. And Jesus knows, like, this is going to cause great embarrassment to the host. And we don't know who the host is, but my guess is he loved them. 
My guess is he knew them. My guess they were friends. My guess is he didn't want them to be embarrassed. He didn't want something to go down here that was embarrassing or shaming to the family. They were they had invited him in and he sat at the table. And so he says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And then he said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Keep going there, folks. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone, this is, this, is, this, is what, this is what happens. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine to the guests later as they've, gotten, as they've had too much to drink. But you saved the best until now. You see what's going on here? Like typically what happens at a feast is like the expensive wine comes out first. And then when some people have had enough to drink, they're like, all right, water that stuff down and bring it out because nobody cares anymore. Just give them that stuff. Is this a little scandalous to some of you? This will push against your fundamentalism a little bit, won't it? Because this is Jesus doing this. And Jesus brings out the best wine. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first moment of Jesus' miracles is not raising somebody from the dead. It's not touching the leper and making them well. It's throwing a really good party. Are you with me? It's generosity at its fullest. It's the God of creation reaching down and saying, I love so much that I want to invite everybody to my table and I want them to experience my grace and my mercy and my peace and my generosity. So come to the table because the best wine's coming out last. It's more than we deserve. It's more than we hope for. It's more than we imagine. Uh, Christians are not known as the people in our neighborhoods that throw the best parties, but maybe we should be. I, I, I would love it if people wanted to be at our house. I would love it if people said, I want to, like, it's fun hanging out with them. We laugh, and there's joy, and there's excitement, and it feels like they go the extra mile to invite us to their home. Sarah and I have some friends in Ohio um, that, that were just such great friends to us. And every Valentine's Day, that this is what they did. It's a beautiful thing. They said, every Valentine's Day, they said, we're going to invite like 25 or 30 of our closest friends to our house. And they would cater in a meal. It was $100 a person meal. This amazing meal. And, and they, they had an open bar at the meal. They brought out this amazing, incredible like steak dinners. Like, it was so good. And then they brought everybody a gift. Every single person that came, a unique gift. They bought them and gave you a bag and were like, we bought this specially for you. We were thinking of you when they did this. This is not somebody who had like enormous amounts of wealth. This is somebody who understood the power of the table. And every year they actually budgeted. They prepared the table. They were generous. They gave everything they had to their friends. And we had so much fun at those nights laughing, joking, eating lots of food. It was so good. This is what God is calling us to do, to open up space. If he prepares a table before us, then we're called to prepare a table before others. And preparation is hard, but preparation is worth it. Preparation is worth it. It's worth the, the diving into it. So the first question that I want to ask today is, where is God encouraging you to love deeply and to prepare a table? Who do you need to invite to that table? Who do you need to bring to your table and just simply say, hey, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. 
I just want to tell you how much I love you. And so we, we went the extra mile on the meal tonight. We, we did not get the Little Caesars pizza. Like, we went for Domino's. No, I'm just kidding. Like, like we, we went all out today, and we brought out the good stuff because we just want to thank you for being in our lives and for the way that you love us and serve us. Maybe it's, maybe it's actually inviting somebody that's never been to your table and saying, I just want to invite you in. I want to give you space. Young people in the room, like high schoolers in the room, I, I know you're sitting there thinking, like, well, I don't, I don't have a table. College students, some of you are like, I've got 14 guys living in my house. Like, our table is like hash browns for every dinner, like ramen noodles, and that's all we got. Like, what, what does this look like for us? Buy somebody's meal. Sit, somebody, sit by somebody in the cafeteria. Give them your Cheetos, right? Whatever you can do, give generously and invite people there. It says, I've prepared a table before you. And then it says, in the presence. And we're not very good at presence right now in our culture. Can we acknowledge that being present is difficult for us? That there's a challenge in like just stopping and slowing down and being with people and being beside people. It's easy not to be present to one another. It's easy to kind of run around and be involved in all kinds of different things. And my mind is going a million different ways. And my phone is buzzing me, telling me the next place I have to be at the next time. Or I'm tired and exhausted and worn out. Um, and, and, and there's this space that's created where it just says, no, 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 no. Be with, you, be with each other. There are so many times, guys, throughout the week where I just have to stop. And say, Lord, will you teach me to be present with you? Will you quiet my heart? Will you still me? Will you, will you let me be present in this moment for the people that I'm with? We don't know how to be with the people that we're with. We're somewhere else. Our minds are somewhere else. Our hearts are somewhere else. We're thinking about something else. And one of the greatest gifts of hospitality is just simply listening. Just simply saying, I'm available to you right now. There is no place I'd rather be than with you. There's nothing else I want to do but be with you. How often do you experience that, honestly? How often do you actually experience another human sitting in front of you and you feel like you are the most important thing in the world in that moment to them? I would suggest we experience that far less than what we think. Listening is hospitality. Presence is a mutual exchange. It's this mutual exchange of I'm with you and you're with me and we're both together and, and, and we want to be together and we want to be present with one another. And I think stillness is a precondition of presence. So in order for me to be present, I've got to be present. I've got to cut some things out of my life. I've got to slow down. Anytime I want to come to the table of the Lord, anytime I want to be in His presence, I have learned that solitude and stillness and quieting my heart and listening and discerning is the work that I need to do in order to hear from God. Are you with me? So when we want to be with God, we know how to quiet ourselves. We know how to still our hearts. We know how to listen to Him. We know how to find a quiet place in our house. We know how to open up our Bible. We, we ask Him to lead us beside still waters. We don't know how to do that with each other. What if we started treating each other the same way we treated the Father? 
What if we started saying to each other, like, I'm actually going to quiet myself on the drive as I'm going to lunch to meet with this person, and I'm going to begin praying for this person before that I meet him, and I'm going to believe that there's a divine encounter that's about to happen here in this space. I'm going to believe that every moment is holy, that every moment is sacred, that every table is a church, every table is an altar, every table is a place where the presence of God can break through. But in order to do that, I've got to quiet myself. It begins with attentiveness. I'm going to be attentive to the people in front of me. I'm going to listen. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to set aside my agenda and my plans. I'm going to stop analyzing and start listening. I'm not going to live, like try and give the answer before they're done speaking. I'm going to resist the temptation to solve or fix everything that's going on. My wife is really good at saying this phrase to me. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to be with me. I just need you to be here. And I'm like, are you sure? Because I'd really like to fix it. I've got, I've got 17 plans on how to fix this in my head right now. I just need you to be with me. I just need you to be present. So the second question I want to ask this morning is, who is God calling you to be present to this week? Can I just make a suggestion to all the fathers in the room? Fathers, raise your hand for me. If you have kids, can I just challenge you to be present to your kids? And can I just say that my boys are getting older and I'm recognizing, like, I, I don't have much time left with them. And as I look back on my kids when they were young, a lot of you guys have young little ones, I miss so much time to be present with them. And one of the greatest regrets of my life is that I did that is that I wasn't present for my boys. I was traveling and I was working and I was building whatever empire I was, thought I was building and I was doing all kinds of things out here that I thought were important. But the older I get, the more that I realize the most important task that I have is my kids and my wife. We have a little sign in our house and it just says the most important ministry you will ever do is right here in your own house. And I love you guys and I plan on being your pastor for a really long time but I will choose my family over you guys every day of the week until I start coming. I will. Because they're not going to have another daddy or another husband. You guys will have another pastor. <laughs> that will happen. And so figure out, like, invest in your family. Invest in your kids. Be present to them. Get on the floor and play with them. Wrestle. Watch a, whatever the stupid cartoon that they watch. The cartoons just keep getting worse and worse and worse, don't they? Like they're just so, I'm glad my kids are older, because my kids even think they're stupid now, right? But, like, they're just so bad. Just sit with them and, and, and be with them. The, the, the table becomes this place where presence happens. Uh, next it says, in the presence of my enemies. You know what? I, I, I want to show a video about this first. Let's, let's, before we jump to enemies, I want to show a video. I found this video this week. And it's just a video of two men being present to their friend. Uh, and, and it just kind of captivated me. It, it, it was just kind of, as I watched it, this was what went through my heart. And, and it was on Facebook. So typically what goes through my heart when I see things on Facebook is not good. Uh, but what, it, what went through my heart was, that's the church. That's the church. So I want you to watch this video here. Seems such a mistake. 
Tell me that's not what we're called to do, is to stand beside the ones that we love and lift them up. To be the ones who stand beside. And, and I love the awkwardness of the men that are, like, when they actually start dancing, they're just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> All they are is present. You, you see that? There was nothing magnificent about what they did there. There was nothing that took any kind of skill. They just simply said, I'm going to be present in this moment, and I'm going to awkwardly sway. Right? That's all i got to do here. It's beautiful. That's a picture of the church to me. When I looked at that, I was like, I want that to be Grace Marietta. I want friends to do that for me, that lift me up, that encourage me, that pull me to the table, that sway awkwardly with me, that call me to the best. Like That's the kind of life that I want to live, and that's the kind of church that I want to be. And it only happens when we prepare, when we invest. And then the last part of this verse is, is the hardest part. It says, of my enemies. Because I'm cool with dancing like that with Ryan, right? Like, <laughs> It'd be weird. Like, I'm down, right? Like, if that's my best friend, like, we'll figure that out. Like, that's, that's cool. But when it's our enemies, the whole game changes. When it's the people that we don't love and don't really want at our table, it's this picture of the table becomes this place of peace. The table becomes the place where peacemaking is possible. The table becomes the place where the arguments and the misunderstandings and the brokenness and woundedness and hurt somehow gets repaired and gets fixed. And, and here's the challenge. If, if we focus only on our enemy, we don't understand who the host is. If we focus only on the wounds and the hurts that have been given to us, we don't recognize that God is the one who prepares the table, that he meets us in that space, that his power is working to work through us and give us the strength to love even when the others are completely unlovable. The enemy may be invited to our table, but so is the Father. And when the Father dwells at our table, amazing things can happen. Some of you have some relationships that are broken. Like relationships that are strained, relationships that have been torn apart. And I just want to encourage you to forgive enough to invite them to the table. This is the posture of Jesus. This isn't easy. Can I be honest about this? Like, I've got somebody I'm thinking about right now, and I'm like, Lord, please don't make me meet with them. Like, that's my nightmare, is having to meet with them. In the presence of my enemies is this beautiful, peaceful passage of a good father in uh, John chapter 15, story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son runs off, takes the inheritance of the father, squanders it on scandalous living, does all this kind of stuff that he's not supposed to do, and he comes home. He doesn't come home because he loves the dad. He comes home because he's got no other choice. And when he comes home, the story's called the story of the prodigal son. I actually think it should be called the story of the good father. When he actually comes home, the father welcomes him in. He gives him the ring. He gives him the robe. He gives him his inheritance back. He, he kills the fattened calf, which is like a good steak, right? Brings out the good stuff for him. Throws a party, and everybody begins to celebrate him. And then in Luke 15, verse 28, it says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, but you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And, and this is just like, if you want to understand the heart of the father, this is it right here. If you want to know what's available to us from the father, this is one of the most pivotal passages I think in all 
41, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, I don't know that we believe that. I don't know that we believe that. I don't know that we trust that the power of the living God is always with us. I don't know that we trust that everything that is his is ours. I don't know that we trust that the inheritance is ours, that the celebration is ours, that the joy is ours, that the feast is ours, that every power and presence and abundance that is his belongs to us and is in our hands and in our capabilities. It's all ours, everything. We are his sons and we are his daughters who are deeply loved by him and we get it all. We are not orphans that are cast aside without an inheritance. We are sons and we are daughters. And the posture of the father is supposed to be the posture of his children. Which says, all I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And I'm not afraid because I trust that everything I have is yours. I think the reason that we don't invite people to the table is because we're afraid there's not enough. I think it's all built around fear. We're afraid that we're not going to be able to meet our enemies in a way. We're afraid conflict's going to happen. We're afraid that we don't have enough time. We're afraid that we can't be present. We're afraid that we can't afford to buy the good steak instead of the little Caesars. We're afraid that we can't. Like, we're afraid of all of these things. And I believe the Father wants to say to us right now in this space, all I have is yours and I am always with you. There is nothing to fear. There is no scarcity in the kingdom of God. There is only abundance. And I want to give more than you could ever hope for or imagine when we begin to open up the, the gates to our doors and to our neighbors and we begin to invite people to the table. Guys, we've been growing a ton. We just opened up the balcony. We've got the parking issues. Like, we're growing so much. But you want, to be, want me to be honest with you? 95% of our growth is people that are just coming from other churches and saying, I like this one better. And I, we're, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you like us. We're glad that, I hope we don't disappoint you soon, right? But you know what I want? I want the prodigal sons at our table. With all my heart, I want the prodigal sons at our table. I want them to be invited into the joy that we have with one another. I want them to be invited in to what, all the good stuff that's happening here. I, there are so many people in this room who, when I meet with them, they say, you know what I love most about grace? It just feels like family. Like, this is my family. They love me when I'm hurting. They invite me to the table. They care for me. They welcome me. They serve me. They, like, this feels like family. And so many of us don't have family in Atlanta. And so this becomes our family. And I want to open that up for everybody. The first time I ever sat, no, second time, sorry, I came and preached the tryout. I did tryout sermons. Uh, the first time I ever sat here after my tryout sermon, uh, which I'm glad I passed. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Ryan Tuttle and Danny. Uh, um, I, I, uh, the, the first time I ever came here was we did Pentecost. And it was a night of worship, and we filled the room, and these folks from the other churches came, and, and uh, Sarah and I were, we had just been praying that the Lord would bring us to a family. That's honestly what we prayed for. We didn't pray for like we want the biggest church in the world or we want like this incredible like empire that we could build or anything like that. We prayed that God would bring us to a family and that that could be our family and that that could be our home. We had gone through a, a really messy experience with another Christian organization where we were hurt and wounded deeply and those the people that we thought were our family like just wounded us so deeply that it's just like I can't even explain the pain that was in that. And 
to be truthful, I, I didn't know that it, I didn't know that being a pastor could be good. I really did. I, I thought, like, all right, Lord's calling me to die again. I'm going to go and I'm going to pastor a church and it's going to get messy and everybody's going to stab me in the back and everybody's going to hate me. Everybody's going to be mean to me. And it'll be terrible. And so I was there and there's just so much joy and passion in the worship. The same spirit that you feel during worship, the spirit of God, I felt. And I was like, Lord, I think you're here. I think you're working. I think you're moving here. And I want to be a part of what you're doing. But, but will you show me that this is going to be a family? <laughs> And they invited Sarah and I to pray. We prayed right here with all the campus pastors and with Jody and a group of people. And when we got done praying, I looked over the side here. It was right in this section right here. This might be why we keep this section confidential. I just want to tell you that. And my two sons were surrounded by a bunch of men that I didn't know who had their arms around them and were praying for them. And, and my... Cole, who was maybe 14 at that time, came to me afterwards. He's like, Dad, you wouldn't believe the prophetic word that I got. You wouldn't believe these guys, what they said about me. It was so encouraging. It was so good. And I started to believe again that you told me tables that I can go into. This is a family that can be formed. Um, we did the story of God yesterday, for those of you who were there. And, and we talked through the whole story of God, and, and it was amazing. It's always beautiful and always incredible to look at like what God has done throughout history. And sometimes we don't study the whole of Scripture, so we don't see the whole of it. And so we went through the whole of it, and I got to the end. And, and right at the end, there's just this part in the story that we read, and it just says, and then the church keeps going. It keeps doing the things that Jesus did and keeps inviting people to the garden to be present with him. And I'm not kidding. I couldn't get through. I couldn't read it. Like, I started, I started weeping, like, embarrassingly. <laughs> like, I, I hate it when that happens. And I was just like, why am I crying? You're such a child, right? Like, come on, like, pull yourself together. I, and it took me a minute. Those of you who are in the room, right? It took me a minute to, like, okay, we can do this. Like, uh, Cleve came up to me before the service, and he was like, you know, you know why you cried? Because what we read is what we're doing right now. Like, I believe, guys, breakthrough is going to happen in our community when we become people at the table. I believe it is. And I believe there is opportunity for us not to just invite other people from other churches and put on a good show. Like, I just don't know if they want to do that. I, I want chains broken. I want freedom to come. I want, we're, we're doing baptisms in two weeks. Let's fill that up, right? That's what I want to see. I want new life in Christ. I want new hope. I want new joy. And, and I want to be around the table with people that I love and laugh and have joy and have peace. And we're not perfect, guys. There's nobody in here that's perfect. And we may disappoint you. We may let you down. But, man, can we strive to be people that invite our enemies to the table? Can we strive to be the people that prepare a place? Can we strive to be a people that are present with others? So here's the challenge that I want to give, and I, I believe this is like the whole point of the Ruby Renegade series. So if you've resonated with these rhythms and kind of said, I want to be a part of this, here's the challenge that I want to give to us. And, and this is something like there's a lot of things that we like challenge the church on that are like, oh, the staff's going to do that. 
going to do this. And you're like, yes, we're doing it. You guys do it, right? Uh, this is actually a thing I can't do. None of the staff can do this. We're not going to do it. We can't do this for you. I, I want to challenge every single person that calls Grace Marietta their home to tithe one meal a week. To sit in the presence of your neighbors and join in this. I want you to like sit down this week with your family and start to pray. And I want you to say, like, all right, Monday nights, every Monday night, we're going to pray and we're going to discern who are we going to invite to our table. And we're going to invite somebody to our table and we're going to go a little overboard with the meal. And we're going to bring it in and it's going to be generous. It's going to be kind. And we're going to invite somebody and we're going to love them and we're going to be present to them. And we're going to sit with them and we're going to love them and care for them and just see what God does. In that space. I'm going to choose Friday night. Friday night we're going to open up this space. And we're going to have this meal. And we, as this meal goes on. I would love it if this message. Actually provoked house churches to change the way they operate. I would love it if some of you are like. Wait a minute. Our house church would be awkward for somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Let's figure out how to create a house church. Where it's actually pleasant for them. Where it's not threatening for them, where it doesn't feel like church on Sunday, but it feels like a, a family meal. I, I was reading this week of a church. There's this church, um, I think it was in Illinois, and this guy took over this church. It was like ten people left in the church. Like it was dying, it was falling apart, it was dying. And, and here's what he did. He said, "I don't know. This isn't working. Maybe we need to close the doors. But let's try this. Let's try splitting up into pairs. We had five, five, five houses, and let's start doing dinner church." dinner church. And every Friday night, they would just create a beautiful table, tons of food, and invite their neighbors. And as their neighbors sat at their table, they just started asking, like, what's going on in your life? How can we serve you? How can we bless you? How can we pray for you? And uh, four years later, that church was running over 500 people on Sunday mornings, and they had like 50 dinner table, dinner churches out all over the community. And it wasn't because they had the best preacher in the world or they had laser lights or the worship leader with skinny jeans. Like, it was none of those things. It was just straight up. They just loved. They just loved. And so I want, the last question I want to ask is, who will commit to say, I'll tithe one meal a week? Who will say, like, I'm in? I don't know what that looks like, and I'm not sure how that's going to... But going to go, but who are you going to invite to your table this week? Will you, will you tithe one meal a week? And will you just say, I'm going to just pray every week and say, Lord, who are you inviting me? And I really, really believe this. We've had tons, guys, we've had tons of prophetic words and tons of things about breakthrough and abundance and harvest this year. But every single one of those prophecies has come with a, you have to do this before this happens. And as I've been praying about, Lord, what's the this? That you're inviting us into. One of it, I think, is passionate worship, guys. Like, one of the things that I think the Father's inviting us to is to encounter Him on Sundays, to be present to Him, to get after it, to, like, put ourselves in some uncomfortable positions, to pray and ask Him to speak and move and expect signs and wonders and come expecting Him to do something amazing when we're here on Sunday. But I believe the second thing is to just be present to our neighbors. To just open up spaces in our life to be hospitable, to open up the table and invite people in. And I believe that when we begin to be obedient here, God shows up here. When we put our first foot in the Jordan River, the water stops and God shows up. So will you try with me? Just, I don't know, 
Start this week. Start next week. But just start inviting people over and praying that the Father will show up. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come, and and, uh, we're going to go to the Lord's table. And as we do, we're going to remember Christ's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And we're going to remember the links that he went to so that we could be at his table. And I want us to be willing to go go to great lengths to invite others to ours. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us to welcome you. That you would teach us to be present to others. That you would teach us to walk in your ways and invite people into a relationship with you. I pray that you would work in our hearts and just give us the names of people to invite. And I pray that our homes and our tables would be places of peace. Places where not only our presence rests, but where your presence rests. And I pray, Lord, I pray for testimonies. I pray for stories that begin to pour out from our community about simple meals. About simply inviting people into the space. And so, Lord, I pray that you would go ahead of us. Your your word says you prepare a table before us. And so we know that you're ready to do that. And so we pray that you would prepare a table for us as we prepare a table for others. And I pray that you would meet us in that space. I pray that you would challenge us to love like you. That you would teach us to surrender to the things that you want us to surrender to. And I pray that we would be the friends who awkwardly dance with one another. That lift each other up, that hold each other up.